change is the only constant in every aspect of our lives, be it how we work, how we live, how we learn. It forces us to make the right decisions without the choice of looking back at history and conventions to know what's right. I am Vikram Baskaran, and this is Chargebee's Champions of Change podcast, where we talk to changemakers who've walked before us, built businesses on first principles, and unearthed their tips and tricks to identify change and turn that into opportunity. Remember, you're just one decision away from being a change maker. Today we have with us Dalius Wilson, formerly known as DW. He's an enigmatic person with a, with a heap of accomplishments to his name, from appearing on Ellen for his singing skills to bagging a spot in the angle 30 under 30. Dalius today is one of the most sought-after thought leaders in sales. His writings have been published by Tony Robbins, Kai Kawasaki, HubSpot, and others. He's recently launched Sales Research Labs to bring together a repository of the best in sales research and tools without any cost or bias. For anyone who wants to know anything about sales, uh, DW's LinkedIn is a treasure trove. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Dalius. Thank you for having me. And I need you to introduce me uh, anywhere, anytime with that kind of intro. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I also kind of noticed that we're not uh, actually calling out GetAccept here anywhere specifically. Would you like to talk to us a little bit about GetAccept before we jump into the actual show? Yeah, GetAccept has been a wonderful company for me. I've been here almost four years and was a customer for two years before. And GetAccept's on a journey to help sellers all the way from the first time they interact with a new prospect all the way to closing the deal through technology like proposals and e-signature. So our vision is to become a deal relationship management solution. So you'll hear more about that in the coming months. We have some exciting product releases and I know Chargebee's got a lot up your sleeve as well. Perfect. So in a lot of your interviews, in a lot of your writings, you've said multiple times that you never really wanted to get into sales. In fact, you'd mentioned that your dad, who was uh, into sales, didn't want you to get into that uh, field either. And yet here you are today, you're the head of sales research at Sales Research Labs. What led to this transformation? Can you talk to us a little bit about this journey that brought you here? Yeah, it's really tough for me, actually. I remember one of the, when my dad had a brain tumor that was suddenly discovered, one of the last things he said before he went into surgery, and it had a 50% chance of life and 50% the other way, he said, please promise me not to be in sales anymore. And the reason I've stayed in sales, and I think he's been happy with that, is the nature of sales has changed from the sales we know from those movies like Glen Gary, Glen Ross, or Margin Call. I don't think sales is trending along that path. I believe that many of the best people in their fields, and lately in software, it's been those with technical expertise, transition into this consultatory role where you're building relationships, but also have to know about a plethora of different topics. And so with that in mind, I've been happy to stay in sales and further my career in it. Beautiful. And you started your journey in B2C sales, and then you've now crossed the bridge into B2B. And there's, there's often this thought process that B2C and B2B are completely different. So for you, how was the transition? Like, were there any specific techniques or your mental models that you had to change in this transition? So it's an interesting point there, Vikram, on that, because if you look at many companies that are now going public, they now have a B2B to C 
model, for instance, one that I've been studying and thinking about a little bit of a late investment in is, is a firm. And many companies are going across platforms and across verticals more than before. But I think if we look at some of the best marketers in B2B, for instance, they've come from B2C backgrounds where the audience is so large and so competitive that those techniques that they develop are very much beneficial when they come to B2B in that world, which is perhaps less creative in the way they market. So very much, I think, the same is in sales, those people who can cut through and build those relationships with people who are perhaps sitting like I am doing this podcast with you, uh, had dinner or making their dinner, they get a phone call, it's one of 10 phone calls trying to market something to them in that week. If you're someone who can excel in that arena or a company that can build a business within that competitive world, then surely those traits and skills can help you in a business-to-business world where people, your decision makers are a lot more educated and probably have a lot more time sitting at their desk expecting some of those calls. I love that. So when we, in, 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 in just the context of the B2C and B2B, you've, you've also spoken a lot about humanizing conversations versus personalizing conversations. What's, what's really the difference between humanizing conversations and personalizing conversations? I can give you an example. And, and I think one is a personalization point could be to mention which university I went to. So Hey, DW, I really want to work with you at Get Accept. I see you went to Sydney University. What a great university to go to. Humanizing the conversation is really extending that personalization to make something relevant between you and that person and to make it genuine. For instance, I think uh, a permutation of that could be, Hey, DW, looking forward to getting in touch with you at Get Accept. I see you went to Sydney Uni. I actually lived with two Sydney Uni graduates in San Francisco who were building their businesses. By the way, did you know X in the business faculty? So that's effectively the same line of personalization, but you're humanizing it by bringing yourself into that equation or making that statement a little more believable. And I think that line is not taught to SDRs and sales professionals very well. It's something that the A plus players do really well. But if you look at courses or literary materials or blogs, you don't find a good example of the difference between those two types of personalization. I think. In, in I think I think in a in a certain way that's the difference between following a script and having a conversation. Yes. Right. Like it's not just about intelligently replacing variables. It's about going deep into the context of the communication and like basically just talking to you like you would talk to DW if you met them in in person. Correct. That being said, though, if you're selling to the C-level or you're selling products that have a price point between anywhere from $20,000 to $2 million, you need to appreciate the importance of cutting through the butter, so to speak. Maybe a better analogy, I really love donuts. So if you have a jam donut, cutting through and getting straight to that juicy jam in the middle. And for most of us, that's value. So we need to know why we should keep talking to you uh, and what that means for our business going forward. So 
regardless of whether or not you can humanize and get along with them well and you're someone they want to speak to, you need to introduce value as soon as possible. And the best form of value is immediate value. What can someone get from this conversation now? Maybe I can explain the difference between immediate value and future value for the listeners. Would that be okay? That would be awesome. Yeah. So future value, if we think about it, is what you can get from implementing someone's solution. So the good or service you're selling. Immediate value could be something that you could get either now or with within one hour of that conversation. So for instance, some of the best marketing or sales campaigns in the world send out emails like, click this to see what this would look like on your website now. So when you go and click the button, already you can appreciate some value of how that change might look and what results it could bring to your firm, for instance. The best firms in the world know how to give immediate value as early as possible in the sales and marketing journey. If we're focused too much on future value, that disconnect can result in conversations breaking down and you never being able to build that momentum you need to close a deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think just going back to the, the humanization aspect, it's about, I think also part of hu- being human is understanding the context of the other person, right? If you're talking to a C-level person, and if, you're, if you were talking to them in, you know, face-to-face, you would be cognizant of the, of the time that they have. You wouldn't be throwing out a long drawn uh, introductory paragraph. You would, would just cut down to the meat. You would get down to the point of, all right, so here's why I deserve your attention. I think, yeah, that's a brilliant analogy that you, you were able to explain. I, I love that. And I think, I think a part of this, the, a part of the way you think also comes from the fact that you've been wearing multiple hats through your career. So um, for, the, for the benefit of our audiences, could you just talk to us about all of those, those different things that you've done really quick and some of the experiments that you've had to conduct to understand your customers better and like the things you do as a salesperson today to make the customer touch points more valuable? Mm, I think there's a couple of, I mean, when I think about marketing, I think about being behind the scenes of the Ellen DeGeneres show. And at that time, they were the second largest social media account in the world behind Kim Kardashian. So seeing how they would plan their calendar, optimize thumbnails, optimize titles, this was in 2015, 2014. So those were the early days of that kind of thinking. So an experience like that was essential in me thinking about how to elevate my brand's message. Another experience which I think about was during university where I didn't have enough money and my whole family was struggling. So I used my passion for content creation to write books on behalf of successful entrepreneurs. So as a ghostwriter, and many people say, well, why do you need to be able to write good copy when you're in sales? Well, what you say is a form of copy. What you write in an email is a form of copy. Proposal is a form of copy. So I think uh, command of persuasive copy is quite helpful. Then the third thing I'd cite is in Australia at the time, we built the largest trade services marketplace. It was a two-sided model. And so I think that experience gave me hands-on knowledge of product and developing ecosystems, which when you try to scale software businesses, you all you in effect have a marketplace no matter what you build. You have the people who use your product and then the people you want to sell it to. 
and that in in itself is a form of ecosystem. So I think wearing the multiple hats has given me insight. That being said, I've seen a lot of people be successful, particularly in Silicon Valley, focusing on one niche and really becoming an expert in that. And I guess for the last five, six years, that's why I've chosen to focus on sales in in terms of my outward content and persona, because I think that if people can close their eyes and think about you on that one topic area, that's quite powerful. And it means you never have to do too much outbound marketing. You always have some kind of inbound interest around your business or what you yourself can bring to the table. Perfect. So I like this. Uh, that's that's like three rules of brand building, copywriting, and product understanding. And I think I think that's three pieces that's going to be absolutely critical, especially if you are in a software organization. But I think in almost any organization, these three pieces are super critical, no matter which role you're playing in. Well, I think there's so many more stories, and we wouldn't have time for them all today, and they might bore you and the listeners, but. I think about recently, I, I I mean, when I spoke to the world champion of poker recently, Phil Helmuth, he was telling me about learning something from every session of poker that you play. And if you think about your job, every job that you've had and every role, is there one key learning that you can write down and jot down and take forward into your future positions? And a better idea is to do that every day. I know that kind of discipline is lacking for most of us, but I remember focusing and probably getting to 50 days in a row by the time I broke it. I think I had a holiday in that period and then I forgot to go back to that task. But if you can channel all those uh, learnings and retrospection to carve a better present and future, your past is your greatest asset. So too many people move on from what they've done and don't use it enough in their current and future projects. Absolutely, I think I think that's a uh, that again is a brilliant idea to basically have a, a journal of sorts of all right. So what did you learn today? And that the movement of that should give us a very good direction of all right. So here's here's the additive impact that we're seeing on a day by day basis. In fact, I think I think that's a that's a pretty brilliant mindset to have because. If you go five days or seven days without filling out that journal, maybe it's, it's it's time to look in and introspect a little deeper. Or maybe it's time to move on and push into a new challenge. And I, I think as well, people think that their job can be the sole source of those challenges. But remember that you have many other hours in your day outside your job. And hopefully you have weekends. If you don't have those, I'd consider changing jobs immediately. But you can apply self-study, reading books. Uh, there's so much content now that's audio-based like this where you can listen to whilst you're driving or doing other activities. I think pursuing that holistic formation of yourself will allow you to grow into the leader that you want to be. And if you took a census of all the top leaders of all the top companies, they're 90% of the time very well-rounded individuals. For instance, the amount of executives in Silicon Valley who ran companies and still found time to run a marathon once a week. There was more than handfuls of those. I think the discipline they had in the boardroom translated to discipline in their life outside it. Brilliant point. So in the in the aspect of learning, now, usually once you hit a certain point of scale, 
especially sales can get stuck in the ruts of the company's process where you know you you've set up the you, you've set the wheels in motion and now it's just going round and round and round how do you kind of keep the sales process fresh and real and always you know looking for the next big challenge yeah that's such a good point i think the number one source of improvement is always the customer and if you're able to keep a dialogue between closed one and closed lost deals that's your greatest asset in affecting change, even in a large company where the sales process has become quite entrenched. And so I've very much encouraged my reps at GetAccept and at previous companies to be involved in win-loss reviews, both internally and externally. And then that feedback we can channel into new sales techniques and motions. I think as well, we often get a little stuck in our sales process due to the proliferation of tribal knowledge. And what I mean by that is when the sales team gets to above 20 in size and a new person joins, effectively the best trainers are the peers around them. And many of those processes and tips are, are undocumented. And because of that, it means that no matter what you do from a top level down or even with your frontline managers, you still see the same negative elements of your sales process permeating through no matter what you try. So instead, I think it's really important to extract that tribal knowledge from the A players and then encourage your top sales performers to embrace some of the newer trends. That way you can get the adoption both from the top level down and from the bottom up. Amazing. So I see you keep talking about customers. I I, th I think the the customer obsession that I know you have is, is is very real. You've also spoken about how you know customers speaking on your behalf and giving you referrals always will trump any amount of sales or any amount of outbounding that we could do ourselves. The problem is how do you how do you actually build out a machine that does that? How do you like for our audience, how can we create companies that get customers to come in and profess their love for us? And I think as well, doesn't it hit a critical mass where you have so many people saying that you're five stars out of five? Where does it when and where does it become credible? I think the biggest asset and many of the listeners here will be account executives themselves or people in the trenches doing sales. And in my opinion, your best strategy is when you join a company to learn the stories of, of 20 to 30 of the top customers. But ideally, you want to learn the stories of those in your territory and vertical and focus on them specifically. Then once you start signing customers, account executives often pass it over to to a customer success manager or the account management team, and they lose that connection. The best sellers maintain that, and then they can bring those people back into sales cycles where they're on the line and the prospect's 50-50 about choosing you over a competitor. Then you can leverage your relationship. So I think in the early days of GetAccept, in the very hyper-competitive market, we had DocuSign, we had Adobe Sign, we had high spot and seismic there's so many different players in this sales enablement uh, space and e-signature space but what helped us is i knew every single customer i believe within probably 96 97 percent of those customers within the first two years so we could always leverage them and leverage their unique stories to affect the sales outcome 
But your point about scalability is is difficult. I don't think any organization has nailed this completely. Maybe that's an area of future disruption as well. So anyone who's listening, not a bad idea. <laughs> yep, that's that's definitely at least one startup idea right here. One other thing that you've done phenomenally well, both from a professional aspect, but also from your personal brand aspect, is you've been able to build authentic relationships online. How, like, if, if, you, if you can just pare it down into how does one go about building that kind of a, an online brand reputation? I think uh, one thing that I made the mistake of, if we wound back the clock 12 months, I don't know what was happening, but I feel that there was a huge boom in, in on LinkedIn, but also some other networking spaces because we were all sitting at home. The whole world was sitting at home at once. And I was posting some different content, offering my sales decks and other different hard assets to that audience. And suddenly I had 700 comments, 1,000 comments, 2,000 comments requesting these materials. And to be honest, Vikram, I had no idea how to service that demand. It was just unbelievable. So I tried my best, but maybe half or a third of those people received it. So my main point of advice with that story in mind is when you put yourself out there or put an offer out there, you must live up to your word and you must be able to deliver. So I had a little bit of a speed bump in that many people saw me as someone who was saying a lot of things but lacking the the doing. So now I've very much refocused on quality over quantity. So my advice would be if you're trying to build authentic online relationships, when you do connect with someone, take that extra five seconds to drop an audio message, right? Or when you get that ridiculous automated reminder that they have their one year work anniversary, don't just send congrats, send something relevant that you can discover from a 10 to 20 second Google search about their company. And when you make posts, if you want to give your audience something, make sure that you're quick with that delivery. Just like imagine the days when you're watching TV and you used to call up that number requesting a product or service that you buy over the phone. And then it took three or four months to arrive in your mailbox. By that time, you were so disgusted with the fact that it didn't come. You didn't want it anymore and you returned it. So to build authentic relationships online, you need to deliver and people have an attention span that's shorter than ever before. So you better live up to your word if you're giving or offering your services or content to a larger audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And while this, there's also this part that I think you're underselling about your brand in that your brand is real. Like what we see on your LinkedIn profile is what we see here is what you see of Dallas Wilson anywhere else. I hope so. Yeah. Except the mustache today, the listeners can't see that. I've gone with a new look for this interview. So whether whether it's just being brutally honest in your post, your quirkiness, uh, breaking into a song. so is like how do you how do you how do you make sure that you know you don't put in all of those filters and just be dallas i think it's a it's an interesting point because at this stage so many of my stories are real that it's tough to think of more stories without getting back to silicon valley or getting into these crazy sales environments that i've been right now i am working remote and have the beautiful fortune of 
of living near the beach in Australia. So there's some part of me too that doesn't want to show too much of that because I know everyone's doing it very tough in the world. Uh, That being said though, I think there is an element where you can't go too far the other way. And I prefer to to dress with an Australian style cowboy hat and have different kind of fashion. And there was a point where I really tried to be authentic and did that for so long. But at the top end and in those top deals, that was a bit too authentic. So I would lose interest or people would think I was peacocking or showboating. So as much as I appreciate those comments, I still think that there's a little bit less, uh, you know, I can't fully be me. But what I love doing is riding the line between what's appropriate to talk about on LinkedIn and what's appropriate to talk about in your personal life. And I think that there are always going to be things happening in your personal life. So if you can find a way to relate those to business, you have an everlasting well of content that way. Too many people try to think about what happens in their business life and write about that first. Instead, think about what you experienced that day across the board and how you could translate that into an allegory or a metaphor for for your audience. Brilliant. And that brings us to the end of our uh, podcast session with Dalius Wilson. And it was so much fun, Dalius. It was was amazing. Thank you so much for your time uh, with us today. Perfect. And do you mind if I tell everyone about my latest project? Oh, please go ahead. I would love that. Yeah, so I, I've i been frustrated a little bit by the lack of academic content I've found about sales. And I've also uh, seen that many vendors choose to produce reports or studies that focus on why you should buy their product in particular. So what I've done is brought together a number of different vendors in the sales space, as well as sales leaders. And I'm putting together quarterly research reports on top topics that are free from bias and are completely free. But what makes them different as well is that we're building a free tool that once we've looked at the research, if there's a particular pain point or trend, we build a technical solution for you as a seller and your sales team. So think of it as unbiased reports and then a solution based on that report. So the site is Sales Research Labs. And uh, that's my current focus in conjunction with my role at GetAccept. So I'm very excited about building out that community. Just to circle back on it, uh, the website is at uh, searchresearchlabs.com. You're also available on LinkedIn at Sales Research Labs and on your personal ID at Dallas Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. But thank you so much for listening. And it's been an amazing opportunity. And if you're listening to something like this, you're already 10 steps ahead of everyone else because most people aren't investing in themselves and that's the number one thing you need to do to grow. Thank you so much and thank you audience for playing with us uh, today. See you in the next podcast.